Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's a high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. And we're coming back at you from MJ BizCon this week. While I was there, I sat down with a hotel proprietor to discuss the evolution of cannabis hospitality as a complement to your travel experience. Chris Chiari owns and operates Denver, Colorado's historic Patterson Inn that will soon feature a members-only cannabis consumption lounge. In order to create a unique and upscale environment for cannabis consumption, Chris is using his love of cannabis, his expertise in hospitality, operations, and community outreach to address the stigmas and ignorance that still exist around our favorite plant. And as someone who loves to travel as much as I love cannabis, I'm excited to share this conversation about cannabis hospitality. In this podcast, Chris pulls back the curtain on the licensing process and what we can expect as guests when he pairs overnight hospitality with the unique amenity of a cannabis consumption lounge. We also swap ghost stories and get travel tips for visiting the Mile High City. But first, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, the muscle rub PhD formulated for what aches and pains you. And when I'm traveling... I can't always bring cannabis, 
but I never leave home without my MJ Relief. I don't know about you, but even when I pack light, my carry-on bag makes up for it. Between the mobile office, my podcasting equipment, travel necessities, and hello, my snacks, my bag gets heavy AF and loads me down. So my neck and shoulders feel beat up before I even make it to my final destination. And because MJ Relief has a soothing unisex scent, I don't have to worry about feeling guilty giving myself a quick neck and shoulder massage mid-flight, worried that I'm going to upset my neighbor. Nobody seems to mind. So if you're feeling my travel pain and want some muscle and joint relief of your own, head over to mjskinrelief.com. You will always save 10% using promo code CASUALLYBAKED, all one word, at checkout. That's MJSkin, R-E-L-I-E-F dot com. Promo code CASUALLYBAKED. And if you're listening on your phone, scroll down in the podcast app you're using to see the episode notes where you'll find links to this offer and more from other Casually Baked partner brands. Shopping podcast affiliates is a win-win because you saving money on the things you want supports the production of this show. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, Please rate and review Casually Baked the Podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That one small action helps other Canna Curious folks find this highly responsible cannabis content. As cannabis legalization continues to expand across the globe, it's important to understand the ins and outs of exploring cannabis-friendly destinations. So smoke them if you got them, and settle in for this mile-high conversation about cannabis hospitality and tourism. It's time to get casually baked. It's high time. We had a high time together. Together. Chris, thank you so much for joining me at this MJ BizCon special edition of Casually Bake the Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yes, I was excited to learn about what you're doing with this 420 Hotels portfolio that you're building. Denver is your home base, right? Kid from New York, New Jersey, but I've been in Denver for a decade now. Okay. And this whole decade you've been working in cannabis, correct? I've been badged in the industry for seven years, but you know, so many of us, what's that start of when we entered the market? We can either look at the the start of legalized regulated markets in states like Colorado and Oregon and Washington, or we can look back to legacy. I've been a consumer of cannabis for well over thirty years. Heard this year many years ago in Los Angeles. You don't master anything in life until you've done it for thirty years. Stanislavski said this, right? I didn't realize. I woke up one day and I realized, wow, I've been a cannabis consumer for 30 years. I'm not going to make a claim of having mastered anything, but the relationship. So much of what we're experiencing here, yes, is a business trade show, but it's also a through line, a, a stream of culture that still survives even as this type of event scales up from 4,000 people last time I was at MJ BizCon to 35,000 attendees this time. Yeah. And so it's fun walking the halls and seeing those familiar, in many cases, legacy faces that are still here. You saying that, that's one of the things that is a pillar of what I'm doing is like making sure that we nurture the culture Mm -hmm. and that we remember where it came from. And, you know, everybody loves to say that we're standing on the shoulders of the people that came before us, but it's true. We are. In many cases, building markets that don't respect that legacy and that history 
and have in some places chased it out or shut it out of the emergence now of this this nationalizing movement towards legalized cannabis. This is the question that keeps coming up, right? Everyone's talking about culture and the changes that are happening at some of the larger cannabis businesses, especially in the multi-state space, as first-generation or second-generation operators are moving on and, and exiting those businesses, the maintenance of that culture is becoming important. Yeah. might literally define who survives and thrives in the future of this industry and who falls away on the side of the road. It's true. And we also, you know, we're seeing it in in culture in general. Like, you know, when somebody doesn't necessarily agree with what's happening and now we're, you know, changing history books and removing monuments and it, there's this whitewashing that can happen if people aren't diligent in saying, hey, this is the truth of this culture. This is where this came from. This is where it's going. But, you know, the history is the history. And so just letting it be what it is and making sure that that we respect and we do better. We're a decade now into state legalized and regulated cannabis. And yet this normalization that's happened around production and distribution has not been matched with the normalization and destigmatization of possession and consumption, right? So those of us that are still consumers, though we can come to events like this, sneak out around the side and always find our community mm -hmm. of consumers, that is not a legitimized and normalized market. That is still those of us sneaking out around a corner to engage in cannabis consumption. Yeah. Which in many cases we're going to dispensaries and legally purchasing. Yes, and then it's like, oh, but you can't smoke it in your hotel room. No. You can't smoke it on the street. No. You can't. And so it's like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to do this? And it ends up being where we become rule breakers. Rule breakers, but we find a way. Yeah, always. My business, likely, in the end of the day, is not necessarily geared towards or going to appeal to even members of the community that I associate with and very close with and always find that place to smoke with because we always find a way. But this deep into legalization, I call it the final mile of normalization, destigmatization, is creating this license path to commercialized consumption. It should be the final piece that helps in a national conversation people realize that cannabis consumers do not always fall under the stereotypical defined description that we've been given, you know, certainly through the 70s, 80s, and 90s with the peak of the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. We're surrounded by 35,000 people who I said many of them are going out front of this building and meeting up in little clusters and consuming together and then getting right back into this room and having extremely productive conversations and yeah. days yeah. as and they sell their wear and, and expand their businesses. Certainly. It's and it's lawyers and doctors and bankers and then, you know, people like me who I look like the girl next door trying to be that highly responsible face of cannabis like we're not stoners that are sitting on the couch getting overweight no. playing video games like we are the people that are which isn't trying. a bad thing and anyone who's doing that we really do love you and you're a wonderful part of this cannabis community but i hope you're doing it for recreation and fun not because you're lacking motivation change your strain find a new cultivar yes now um it's okay going with that you have a new strain of hotel experiences that you are getting ready to offer folks. And this is important to me because as someone who loves to travel and as someone who 
for the majority of my life lived in a state where cannabis wasn't legal and I've recently had to move back. So I'm in Texas. Okay. And so traveling somewhere that is a cannabis, cannabis friendly destination is motivation for someone like me. So then when you get there, if you're not an experienced cannabis smoker, but you're like, okay, I'm going to Denver on holiday and I want to experience cannabis. It's so hard to be able to have that experience without being completely overwhelmed, not being sure what the rules are, not being sure where and how I can participate. And so, you know, us kind of embracing those folks in um, in targeted cannabis tourism where we're going to nurture your experience so that you can be an important voice for the movement to legalization when you get home. My business at the end of the day is overnight hospitality. That's the core of what we do. Patterson has been in business for 10 years. I bought it four and a half years ago. I didn't wake up and say I'm looking to add cannabis because I can't figure out how to get my business to work and I'm going to find the best gimmick I can to raise awareness. It's quite the opposite. My intention when I looked at the property originally 12 years ago and missed it by two weeks was to turn it into cannabis hospitality. When it was back on the market in January 2018, I swooped in because I knew my intention. The very first article that was written came out in a local publication in Denver, and the title said, Buyer Nabs Capitol Hill Mansion with Marijuana in Mind. And I laughed because anyone who's wondered over the last four and a half years what I was up to should have never been shocked when that application dropped Uh because it was always the intention. The world had to catch up. Mm-hmm. The policy around at the state level and at the local level, what it means to open a business like this wasn't available. But I just want to go back to one piece, and I don't want to dismiss it, because cannabis-friendly is an important part of this emergent conversation and is a product that I will seek out myself because I'm a consumer. But my product does not fall under cannabis-friendly. In fact, my place might actually look to some individuals looking at it as cannabis-unfriendly, because the only place on my property where you'll be able to consume cannabis is in the license-designated area. I can't let you smoke in your room. Because if you smoke in your room, Colorado law requires that I vacate the licensed smoke lounge at 2 a.m. I don't know if you remember the early days of cannabis events. We'd have alcohol inside and a mixer, and then there'd be an Airstream or a van outside that you could go smoke in. In this case, I could let you smoke in the hotel, but you got to go sleep in a bunk in the Airstream out front, come back in the morning at 7 a.m. for breakfast in your luggage. That doesn't fit with overnight (laughs) hospitality. Not very well. Other issues, HVAC. This is a smoke-filled room. And anyone who's ever followed how the removing of smoking in public, cigarette smoking in public, became a reality had nothing to do with a restaurant not wanting you to smoke in it or you not wanting to be in a smoke-filled environment. It had everything to do with the state level of protecting employees. Okay. And that's where the reality will come that in any municipality that starts the process of licensing what is the future of cannabis hospitality, it, in my mind, is likely, because this is what we're experiencing in Denver, it's likely going to look similar to cigar lounges. Okay. In a cigar lounge, if you've been following that, very few have been open in the last 10 years because the HVAC standards are so significant. Even here in Vegas, Vegas is moving towards lounges, but instead of doing international standards, which was based around occupancy in the room, their standard is based on how many times you have to turn over the air in the room. And where I'm building, when the city of Denver had a meeting with me and I had my engineer, and I told them that I was eccentric enough to build what the HVAC engineer had designed, but I wasn't crazy enough to turn it on. Because from an efficiency standpoint, I had to move 2,600 cubic feet per minute of air for a 40-person capacity room that in the middle of winter I have to take minus 6 degree air and flash heat 2,620 cubic feet per minute 
to 70 degrees. In the wow. summer, I've got to strip all that same heat out. The ability to operate this, it would have never, no one in their right mind should turn this on. Uh-huh. The city, thankfully, is working with us aggressively to find an amendment process, an amended process that will allow an efficient operation of this type of machine. We're still going to move the same amount of air. But these types of requirements, this nuance around policy shows, one, that we've matured to the point that we can have these very detailed public policy conversations Mm -hmm. about the implementation of business without anyone giggling or dismissing because it's based around a cannabis conversation. That's the victory. The challenge is still that this is so new that we have to look to what the law already provides access to, again, a cigar lounge. And in my jurisdiction, as far as Denver, that's what they are enforcing, which creates another barrier, another burden. What a lounge looks like and how they work is still undefined by the market. Because this license, this is new. New. I was the first applicant. November uh, 11th of last year, the application dropped. And when will it become effective? When will you have a lounge? I am in possession of stamped plans right now. Uh, The city has been very engaged in the modification of the HVAC plan. The third and final draft is in city review right now, which I should hear in a matter of either before the end of this week or next week. And we are less than 48 hours away from starting construction once we get approval on the HVAC plan. That's very exciting. So we are literally... um, the, this is now being funded through, uh, did an equity crowdfund investment on Republic. And I saw ended up that. with a little under 300 investors that provided the resources to move into construction. I'm really excited because as fun as that was to be the first legally licensed cannabis business to do a crowdfund, equity crowdfund on Republic, I'm now going to be the first legally licensed cannabis business to do an equity crowdfund on StartEngine. Well... I knew a, a brand in California that did something on Republic. Brands are doing it when mm-hmm. they're licensed and don't touch the plant. It's why I was able to get in there because at the end of the day, I don't touch the plant. But I am licensed like a dispensary mm-hmm. from security cameras to the licensing and requirements in order to even get this far to a city license. So this is licensed like dispensary, licensed like retail distribution, but with a bring-your-own cannabis model. So yes, brands... In some cases, brands that are going coast to coast. Toast was also running a campaign while I was running mine. So cannabis brands have made it up into the space. But no licensed cannabis businesses have made it into the domestic security space like this. So these cannabis consumption lounges, um, it's members only. So how do we get the... How do we get our guests from the hotel be able to get in? So members only is a lot of what people are talking about. We're talking about an entry fee so that there at least is revenue at the door. But for me, the the revenue at the door is not so much about creating cash flow to get you into the room. It's about starting that relationship of making sure you're of age, of establishing transactions so that once you enter the lounge, the restaurant at the companion hotel can still service and prepare you food, which then can be served in the lounge by staff in the lounge. And so we're doing it as a way to start that transaction and that relationship so that once you can get in, we can be in a cash-free or or cashless room as far as pulling out money or or swiping a credit card. So if someone comes into your hotel to stay, is a membership fee included in the room stay that makes that work? How do you know how to do it? Nine room hotel, twelve thousand total square feet, a very small and intimate space. Uh, expanding to 11 rooms, so we have the capacity for that. I have a tavern in the basement that is now open to the public. Uh, the business I bought had a liquor license, but they couldn't serve to anyone that wasn't a registered guest of the hotel because of the neighborhood agreement that was part of needs and use, which is the type of hearing you go through to establish vice licenses in a city. 
In this case, I had to do a needs and use hearing, and I had to go in front of the same community group. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to rewrite this restrictive clause. So I ran it by the group first, and we ended up with a 24 vote in support, one abstention, and I'm able to open the bar to the public. Took structure the way this business is. There are four total companies that exist now in this property that separate all the licenses. But for a guest of the hotel, there are two ways into the cannabis lounge. Guest of the hotel or a guest of a guest. Annual member or a guest of the annual member. And I'm doing that because the property is so small that the door could never be open to the public. This is not just a space for anybody to walk into. Cannabis hospitality and lounges that are being built and conceived across the country will speak to that segment of the market. For me, this is meant to be a complement, one of the most exciting and unique amenities, taking underutilized event space in the hotel and giving it new purpose and new life in the hopes of attracting another overnight to the hotel. Yeah. So yes, there'll be membership, and we're using that more as a term, there'll be a fee to get in, Mm -hmm. but it's more that, and I use it more to say that this particular venue, because of the size of the property and access, is not going to simply be walk up and come on in. We're going to know you're coming. Mm-hmm. We're doing food pairings, we're serving foods, we're going to do a blunt brunch every weekend where you'll bring your own cannabis and you'll eat our food and stay as long as you want. Very nice. We're going to do brunch in the basement with the tavern where you'll get a mimosa or a Bloody Mary along with the same food in a different experience but a way of maximizing the use of our restaurant in the hotel. The lounge is likely because of the appeal and the types of uh, conversations I've already had and the outreach that's already come in is likely going to be a place for business to business where manufacturing infused product makers in Colorado that really don't have a way to directly engage with a consumer will be able to have a room with 40 people with direct consumption of their product for experience, for flavor, taste, all of those elements that are part of the experience of cannabis consumption mm-hmm. that you miss out if you're just going home and consuming it alone. Yeah, and you know, when I was living in Oakland, there were some dispensaries in San Francisco that I really enjoyed going to that had the consumption yep. lounge behind the dispensary. Yes. And so it's, it is, it was an excellent place for me. It was like my little WeWork space <laughs> and, you know, being able to, you know, stay casually baked while I'm doing my job, but then also a great place to have those interactions with other people in the right. cannabis space. And frankly, I also used it as a space to do educational events, you know, teaching people about terpenes and then, you know, do the thing and then, you know, go out front and teach people how to shop for the things that they wanted or needed. And I love that, right? This is that experience, that, that consumer-based experience that many customers are now getting from bud tenders when they go to the dispensary, but it stops at basic information, certainly around products, and it's all geared towards a sale. In my case, we won't be selling cannabis, so it really will take that next level of education and direct engagement. Start low, go slow is good policy. It's Mm -hmm. a bumper sticker. We have to share it. We have to start there. But what does it mean? And what does it mean for individuals, different body masses, different sizes, different cannabinoid profiles in their own bodies, so different reactions Mm -hmm. to different strains, right? Some terpenes respond well with some consumers and not so well with another. Yeah those types of conversations and helping people make good decisions if they find a strain they don't like to not be discouraged and maybe try something else right to find what is the smallest needed dose for the expected experience Mm -hmm. that comes through direct engagement yeah not consuming in isolation and you know and that part of that too is we have to be willing to experiment people have to feel confident enough and comfortable in the space experiment yes many of the people that will smoke in my hotel would likely not go to cannabis friendly 
because their expectation would be a large crowded space where for first time consumers, you don't know how you're going to respond. You want something a little quieter, more intimate. I really do recognize that the largest growth segment in cannabis is 50 plus. Mm-hmm. It's not just people rediscovering from the 60s era. It's people adding cannabis into their lifestyle, whether it's pain management, whether it's creativity, whether it's enjoyment of music or food. All those wonderful things that cannabis provides an enhancement to when you consume it and do stuff. Mm-hmm. That's right, becoming that norm and reality. So then what are you doing or what are your plans to help educate these consumers, these visitors, you know, is it we're leaving literature in, in hotel rooms? Is it, what is that going to look like? Because they aren't going to have a bud tender there. We are a staff location. So if a guest is in the room, there must be staff under the rules. And we're going to serve food and beverage, non-alcoholic beverages, teas, lemonades, iced teas, uh, salads, and other types of foods. We've already started the process of so the taverns open the public and we have a series of simple syrups that are the basis of our craft cocktails we serve in the bar. But one of those simple syrups is lemongrass and thyme. And if you know about the terpene profile of lemongrass and thyme, they complement strains like super lemon haze, which I enjoy smoking mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Yeah. And so we are excited that once the tavern and once the cannabis lounge opens, if you ordered a salad and tell me what strain you're smoking, we can help point you towards infused olive oils that have terpenes that can either enhance the experience you have, or if you're smoking a strain at a food pairing that you know might lead you to be a little anxious, we can give you compliments, a little bit more pepper in your food, a little bit more lavender in your oils that will help to mute and maybe sand down the rough edges of that experience. I like this. I like this a lot. And that requires you to have an educated team because they really are directing the experience of these people. Because if I came in and I'm like, okay, I've got blueberry muffins, you need people that know cannabis. I would look forward to coming to stay at the Patterson Inn. I look forward to hosting the Patterson Inn's (laughs) been open for 10 years. Like I said, this is not the addition of a gimmick. It is a core, stable stabilized hotel that's adding the most exciting and unique amenity in American hospitality today. Yeah, and so the the thing with the alcohol piece of it is, you know, when people don't understand cannabis, they all end up using liquid courage to be like, all right, I'm ready to try it now. And then I'm like, you're going to get crossfaded and this is going to get ugly. How are we making sure that people are understanding that and kind of gauging that? You know, that's... In this case, there is a great fear from a policy standpoint of what cannabis and alcohol cohabitating in in, in commercial space might look like. Real aversion to it. Mm -hmm. That's why it's taken this long to get this far. I will not serve alcohol in the cannabis lounge. That'll be another part of the property. You will not be able to take cannabis consumed out of the the lounge. So there'll be those barriers and separation. But this is, I, I personally believe that if we keep separating alcohol and cannabis and forcing them to be across the street, it'll take longer to get to the normalization. Doesn't mean that I think the perfect end of this or solution is them cohabitating, but in my case, I'm working diligently to find a way to have these two unique experiences available to a hotel guest on the same side of the street and in the same building. Because mm-hmm. for, for me, again, this whole business is, I've been doing the policy side work for a dozen years now been badged in the Colorado industry for seven years. So I've been engaged in this process in a meaningful way for 
at least now on the legal side, for a number of years. To do this, we have to do it right. To make sure that we continue moving the ball forward, we need to be responsible in how we build our businesses, how we execute our businesses, the culture that we build around our businesses, to make sure that we keep pushing towards a, a, a bright future. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the regulation cannot be, oh, it's too many regulations. We, we've got to embrace the fact that at the end of the day, regulation is all about the... If we can get good public policy in cannabis, this legitimizes our work. Mm-hmm. Policy can be changed. Policy can be reformed. Getting cannabis legal is the first step. Well, and yeah, and if you have people that have had bad experiences, then they're the ones that are going to demonize it, and they're the ones that you're kind of fighting against to get here. Famous journalist came to Colorado, ate the entire 1,000-milligram chocolate bar, and did not have a good time. (laughs) No one in my hotel should ever make that decision absent information about the decision they're making, Mm -hmm. and they won't. Because yeah. the product I'm trying to build, normalizing, destigmatizing, is about making a comfortable space, a safe, licensed, comfortable space for both the canna experience as well as the canna cures. Yeah. So we're starting with the historic Patterson Inn. Yes. We say 420 hotels, plural. Plural with an S. So where are we going from there? I started bundling web domains several years back because we're still struggling with legitimacy in cannabis, so I can't trademark you know, cannabis hospitality yet, but am at least bringing my brands to market. Uh, I own the420hotels.com, the420denver.com, and the420 and 55 of my favorite cities in America and around the world.com. <laughs> Way to go. I am looking to roll out a four-star property following a five-star hotel rollout model where I'm not looking to be on the outskirts of Chicago in an unincorporated county. I'm looking to be in the heart of Chicago. I'm a kid from New York. I can't wait to get home. Mm-hmm. So the goal is gateway cities with a premier brand that does pair overnight hospitality with this unique amenity. I can tell you that hospitality as an industry isn't ready for us yet. They're still adverse. I'm sitting in a position as the first to do it, which shocks me a little. Maybe I've de-risked a little by having a nine-room property as a proof of concept. Maybe those are the pieces that that make it work. The the de-risking of the uncertainty around cannabis lounge and cannabis hospitality is is supported by the fact that I'm a hotel first. We're cash flow positive. We're a profitable hotel before you even start looking at the cash flow from the bar and long before we even get that lounge open. Mm And the lounge, again, I feel very strongly, you asked before about marketing. To me, the lounge is a really exciting way to share the story of my nine-room property to an audience that might not have otherwise have heard about it. Mm-hmm. And, can, and because of the address, because of the history, and now because of the fact that I've earned this position as first, a successful market nationally for cannabis hospitality is everything you enjoy experiencing you should have a commercial option where you can consume cannabis and enjoy what you're experiencing. A thousand percent. We're a long way away from that. Yeah. Now, Colorado is one of the few mature markets that we have. So, you know, what is the state of the Colorado cannabis market right now? And I assume that the people are ready for it. I think the people have long been ready for it, probably before the city is. But is the community, are they now like, everybody on board is it still like pulling teeth like opening a new bar in a neighborhood i had to go through a needs and use hearing 
had significant community support. It was 68. It was almost 100% in support of the bar. It was only 68% in support of the cannabis lounge. But that's still significant. It shows just how far a city like Denver has come because Amendment 64 didn't pass by those margins. So we're, we're seeing an acceptance of what this looks like going forward. I only had one member of the community who came out in opposition, and he wasn't even so much opposed to my business. He was opposed to uh, by-the-hour Airbnb concept that existed next door to him five years earlier, which was used as one of the early means of trying to facilitate cannabis hospitality that for the neighborhood proved to be a negative impact. It didn't work. The operators were ultimately chased out of that, that venture. But for this neighbor, that was the concern kept saying that your business is identical. And I remember saying, sir, let me, I, I got to ask him the questions. I said, could make, based on this, these two facts, a business that operated with no license and had no community support versus a business that refuses to operate without a license and is starting with community support, would you say that those two businesses are identical? And his response was, absolutely. Obviously, we had no room <laughs> for any substantive conversation. And that's okay. Ultimately, I proved needs and use. Ultimately, the city, Denver, we have come so far in this policy that the city of Denver is not putting up any barriers to make this harder than the rules and law says it has to be. And in fact, time and time again, they're proving to be willing to engage, very responsive because we are this deep in, we're a decade into legalization. We waited a long time, eight years after we legalized cannabis in Colorado, we waited eight years for the state to move towards starting cannabis hospitality. We only have one lounge under recreational sales open. They're in unincorporated Adams County. It's a wonderful destination. Jad's, it's a great place to go. Doesn't How far is that from the city center? About two and a half miles. Okay. But where they've been able to move to market is in an unincorporated, so cities administer HVAC. Mm-hmm. So unincorporated counties, then you don't have the local municipality who then goes in and creates rulemaking and licensing and fees around HVAC. So they were able then to bring to market their product, which again, it's a really fun place to go to. They're not a hotel, right? But they are by, by, by the gram sales model which now getting a chance to experience that, having been to coffee shops in Amsterdam, having gotten a chance to go to their venue in Colorado, there's a similarity. I can feel, I can feel that sense of community, that thing, if you've been to Amsterdam and had a chance and have had a chance to smoke with your friends outside of your home or their home, it is a thrill. Yeah. It's a thrill. Yeah. It doesn't go away. So just seeing your face light up when you say that, what excites you most about cannabis tourism really coming into its own in the United States? This is personal for me. I looked at the hotel. It was an abandoned property March 7th of 2011. I looked up. I said, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. I didn't get the house originally. I bought it four and a half years ago. 10 years, 11 months, and 15 days after I said that. But who's counting? It was the earlier this year. Because it was, I, I had a 10-year plan. And it took me 10 years, 11 months, and 15 days. And I laugh because to me, that's still sticking to the 10-year plan. The world for hospitality threw some hiccups that were a little unexpected that might have set me behind a little bit. But I wrote online that I, I was 10 years, 11 months, and 15 days. And I can't believe that from when I said that, I'm sitting here holding this license and moving to the next step. And an old friend from college replied, 
And she said, I remember sitting you with, with you in the quad when you were 18, our first year in college, and you said one day you were going to make a safe legal, license, safe legal place for you and all your friends to come get high together. Oh, that gave me chill bumps. I'm 48, about to be 49, when she told me that. That's 30 years ago. Yeah. And like I said before, you don't master anything until you've done it for 30 years. I didn't even realize that I had stayed on my life plan <laughs> so consistently. But it, it gave me chills when she said that and reminded me. And I, I realized that, no, this wasn't work that I had spent 10 years, 11 months, and 15 days on. This is work that I had truly spent 30 years on. Mm-hmm. And everything yeah. I've learned, I'm putting into the steel. Everything that is my life experience, much of it influenced through the generosity and community around cannabis consumption is in this. You know, I think cannabis, when consumed responsibly and for a long period of time, you can't help but become a better human. That's hard to dismiss, right? I mean, really, just I'm just much more of a compassionate human because of my relationship with cannabis. And cannabis really does just like pull you in into this like warm community hug and and so yeah I lo- that's what I want more people to know that feeling and to experience that I want people to have this when Colorado when Colorado first legalized there were some really great parties there were lots of undefined spaces and so there were events that would appear where we could drink and smoke and I remember these spaces so clearly because if you go to a club or a bar and it's later in the evening and two people bump into each other there is usually an exchange that is a little bit more intense and animated than it sometimes needs to be. And sometimes even becomes downright violent. Mm-hmm. Watch out, what's wrong with you? You spilled my drink. All these things you hear in a club or a bar. In a cannabis space, even with alcohol, people bump into each other. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, do you want a hit? Oh, I spilled your drink. You want another one? <laughs> and it's just that sense of responsibility, sense of my, the cause, my actions may have caused to harm you. And that sense of awareness that leads to the blossoming of a friendship, not the blossoming of a bar brawl. Yeah, right? And this that, is true story. That's, I want more people to get a chance to experience that. So when people come to Denver and they want to experience the full culture of cannabis, what are some of the things that you think are cool to do in Denver for someone um, that's looking to have cannabis be one of the focal points of their experience? As soon as my lounge opens, staying at the Patterson Inn and this enjoying the food sense. beverage options as well as the lounge space at the Patterson. But it's just a start. I don't see cannabis hospitality and other purveyors of this business as competition. In fact, none of us will succeed unless we can build a healthy, vibrant market. At the end of the day, I'll just try to outcompete anyone else who wants to be a hotel with how I service my guests through the hotel. Because hospitality, hotel hospitality is about as saturated as an industry as you can get. So I'm not thinking I've got this angle that makes it special. We just have an opportunity to, in a beautiful space, offer exceptional service. And if we do that and pair it with really exciting amenity, it puts us in a good, strong market position. But right now we have um, Colorado Cannabis Tours, which does the Puff Pass and Paint, which is a lot of fun. They've found ways with low THC experiences to incorporate that into their program already, but they're also moving towards a license as well. Uh, These are the individuals that were behind the original tours that if you come in, they can pick you up at the airport, get you to the dispensary, give you the ability to consume on your way to your accommodations, and also pick you up the next day and take you on a dispensary tour. Okay, nice. That's still real. And Mm -hmm. for so many, look, we have 8 billion people in the world now as of yesterday. I have a nine-room hotel. 
everyone who's going to experience cannabis as part of tourism hasn't yet. Yeah. More people have been on a cruise than have experienced cannabis tourism. Yeah. Cruise is a very small percentage of the total population of America. Will everyone go to experience it? No. But what will that look like? I really think it looks like informed decision-making, good experiences, and people going back to some of these states that are still very repressive on this topic, engaged and informed and aware that a stoner is not a stigma and that cannabis consumers actually are not just normal people, but good people too. Yeah. So when I'm in Denver, you know, what are some of the outdoor activities that, um, cause you know, when you, when you consume, I'm like, get out, experience, walk have around, you heard have of some skiing? nature. It's this wonderful thing we do in the Colorado Rockies. I think it's not just unique to Colorado, but it's really fun and only 90 minutes away. Do you like hiking? We have some of the most amazing mountains and ranges and accessible hiking, sometimes only 20 minutes from downtown Denver. Do you like art? We have one of the greatest art museums, right four blocks from the hotel. Do you like history? Because the Molly Brown House is three blocks away. The state capitol and its golden dome is four blocks away. The heart of downtown and the convention center is under a mile. The train to the airport, mile and a quarter. We're right in the heart of Denver. Denver is big city, small town. Yeah. But has all those pieces. I was raised in New York City. There's no bigger city. I'm sorry, Chicago. There really is no bigger city than Manhattan. <laughs> sorry, I said to push that. But being from a big city gives you a frame of awareness then sometimes when you're in other cities that can give you a comfort zone beyond what other people might experience. Uh, but Denver is culture. It's a big city. We get great concerts. Taylor Swift is coming to Colorado. That should tell you how <laughs> big of a draw we are in Denver. It's funny. You can't get into an elevator or go into the lobby of a hotel or a restaurant without hearing Taylor Swift these days. So that's pretty funny. Well, right now, everyone's either griping about or celebrating the fact that they got tickets. I didn't get any tickets. I didn't even try. Yeah, me either. <laughs> when someone is deciding, okay, I... I want in on this. I want to. I want to experience cannabis tourism. You know, what are some highly responsible tips you might have for somebody to plan a trip for themselves sure. and it be something? Because I've traveled with people where they're like, "Okay, we're going to start here. We're going to do this, this, mm -hmm. this, this, mm -hmm. and this." And I'm more of a like, "Here's 30 things to do in that town. If we do three of them, I'm cool." Right now, anybody. In this country, other than Airbnb, which is one of those rare places where they found a path to make this work with cannabis friendly, any hotel in the country, if you call them up and say, can I smoke cannabis there? And they say yes, that is not being done with a license. And I know that because I'm the first licensee to do this. Be aware of what you can and cannot do. People call, people ask all the time. I cannot imply or express consent to consume, but we can give advice. And we do. Right? Cannabis friendly is about being friendly. Pointing people to solutions when they can't find one. As much as it is just about turning a blind eye. Too much of the industry right now is cannabis friendly because they turn a blind eye. When they really do need to engage what we're talking about. That first tier of consumer education that's built around people and their experience being a positive experience. Which does not happen in a cloud of no information. Yeah. So, you are in a very old historic hotel. I am. You might have some interesting stories to share about 
phenomenon or um, ghost experiences, perhaps? First time I walked up to the house, <laughs> I knew. Because a friend of mine who was a political researcher sent me every news clip on every article about the stories of this house. From the time I told her at 5 o'clock on Wednesday, I was flying to Denver to look at it and landed the next afternoon at 2 o'clock on Thursday. I knew. King of Haunted Houses in Denver. I knew. I knew. And I still leaned in. I tell people that the Patterson Inn is the second most haunted hotel in Colorado. I don't get stuck in the fight for number one. And whoever loses that fight is third or fourth at best. <laughs> I did do an episode of Portals to Hell with Jack Osborne. There isn't a ghost tour in Denver that doesn't stop by and walk by. The tragedy is most of them spread what I call paranormal misinformation. They embellish the story because the truth isn't juicy enough. I'm not embellishing what I'm trying to build here. I'm letting the product stand on its own. Because all of this that we're trying to do to legitimize cannabis, your product's got to stand on its own. If you think your product is special because it's got a pot leaf on it, go check yourself at the door. Because it has to be something more than that. It has to be useful. It has to speak to a need. It has to provide a solution. It can't just be another rebrand. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking about... I've had a couple of interesting ghostly experiences um, staying in a 100-plus-year-old farmhouse okay. and... There was one night, it's super cold in this house, like there's only fireplaces in a couple of rooms. And so on all of the beds, there were the bed warmers. Okay. And <laughs> I sleep really hot, so I don't mind getting into a cold bed. And I slip into this bed in the guest room, and the bed's really warm. And I was like, oh, Sabrina's so sweet. She turned on the bed, got the bed warm for me. And I reached down to turn it off, and it wasn't plugged into the wall. So I can't dismiss. <laughs> I have my own experience. I walked up to the house. I told you before, it was March 7, 2011. I pointed up, and I said, I want to turn you into a marijuana bed and breakfast. The house replied back. It was a female voice, like she was sitting on my shoulder. And I'm going to give you the quote. And if you've got to bleep it out, bleep it out. But she said, and I quote, get off the fucking grass. <laughs> this is my first experience with the house. I buy the house. I actually had a national TV program filming, The Bachelor film there. And I'd have a bartender on. So I just get back from the bank. It, when I closed on the property, I sold every lender. I know you won't be my bank if I get this license, but would you be my bank if I tried to get in the paper trying to get the license? And seven of eight banks said no. They were uncomfortable with the address already, but uncomfortable with what that would look like and know your client having a, a, a mortgage on this property that was doing this type of transformative policy. Uh, they loved the ghost stuff, though. <laughs> they had no problems that it was on it. They didn't want me to have cannabis. But literally, get back to the hotel that day. I had just signed the long-term lending with a, with, a cannabis, with a bank that was willing to engage on the cannabis topic. And I was sitting there telling the bartender, and there's this flash of light behind us. And my GM at the time pulls the security footage. There's no light, just the two of us jumping up to try to find the source of this light. And I really digested that moment. What I realized, this the, the, the lounge, or I'm sorry, the tavern in the basement of the hotel was the cigar lounge of U.S. Senator Thomas Patterson, who near the end of his life spent eight years after serving in the U.S. Senate. He was the publishing editor of the Rocky Mountain News, which was a very prominent newspaper. He left his mark on Denver, on the Rocky Mountain region, on history. And here I am adding this new chapter to his house. And if it's haunted, if it's spirited, 
the best I can tell you is that that flash of light, I always felt Senator Patterson took my picture, almost was giving me the, the blessing that, yeah. yes, you could do this to my house. Yeah. Well, so that's, I love that. Because whenever I discovered that my bed was warm, I, it felt like someone sat down at the foot of the bed. I felt the pressure on my feet. I felt the bed kind of sink down. I know what room you're staying in my hotel. Oh, yeah. And I just said, thank you so much for getting my room ready. But I appreciate I, but you I like so it much. Cold, I hope you. <laughs> but I was like, um, thank you. Like, I'm going to bed now. Good night. And was just like, please just go away. Please just go away. So, I mean, I'm like haunted, friendly, haunted, friendly ghosts. Spirited. Makes you aware mm-hmm. that those walls have housed families, people, conflict, love for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Walls talk. Rooms. Remember. Yeah. You feel that sometimes when you're in it. It's hard to say that the Patterson Inn is haunted because very few, very few people run away scared. But I have had claims from guests. I can't. Dis- I can tell you my experience, my belief. Fine. But I now have almost five years of operations where I've housed close to ten thousand guests in my nine-room hotel since I bought it. It's their experiences. It's these very common repeating narratives that I get from guests at breakfast mm-hmm. that I cannot dismiss, that I cannot discredit, that reinforces for me that yes, the Patterson Inn is amongst uh, the more spirited properties that you can stay in in the country, but it's not scary. Yeah. I was telling this experience the next morning. My friends are like, I can't believe you slept in that room. I was like, <laughs> but it it felt good and nurturing. Yeah. I, I wasn't afraid You know of when it. you're uncomfortable. You know when you're afraid. You know when you should be in fear, right? Fear and flight, it's it's innate in all of us. Yeah. You can also know when you're not in harm's way. Yeah. But it's, it's amazing how many people, your experience in a haunted establishment has very much to do with you and how you show up when you come in the door. I can tell very quickly. When I bought the hotel, the owner said, never talk about the haunting. And they'd whisper it. Don't talk about the haunting. <laughs> and I laughed every time. And I, I got it. At first, I didn't talk about it. And be like, one out of nine guest rooms would come in and know about it. We'd pull them aside and tell them stories. But then we shut down for the world we were in in 2020. We opened back up. And the Portals to Hell episode had run during when we were closed. So we're at the peak of COVID. And we're sold out every week in all nine rooms. But everyone is there with ghost hunting equipment. Everyone's there. I am the beneficiary of hundreds of guests who have exclusively come for ghost tours in the last year, and I am the beneficiary of their belief and their skepticism, of the tools and the methods that they can then use to prove it, and the orbs they show me pictures of with faces, all the way down to an electrical socket that might be giving off a little too much electromagnetic radiation, and I might actually be causing people to hallucinate because they're (laughs) sitting in an electromagnetic field for too long. It literally was one of the explanations, which is very plausible. Well, what I find interesting is like, okay, if I'm consuming cannabis and it makes me more internalized, like I'm more aware of my body and my feelings and I'm more conscious of my surroundings... I can't wait to be high and be in the Patterson Inn. I think that sounds fun. I'm like, right. elevate that You know what's experience. really fun to do once you get high in my lounge? Go back to your room and take a bath. <laughs> Even without a bath bomb. But, whoa, you can do that too. <laughs> One of those examples, you know, edibles, bath bombs, lotions. These are ways that we can consume already. If you're traveling, you're engaging in legal markets, you're looking for pain relief. Because so much of cannabis consumption right now is moving away from getting high 
and moving towards lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I'm using it for anti-inflammatory. I'm using it for relaxation or a sleep aid. I'm using it for a stimulant because it's the difference than drinking a drink and I want to go out. Certainly. That's lifestyle. Absolutely. And I call myself a cannabis lifestyle guide. There you go. And the very first question I ask people who are curious, I'm like, why do you want to consume? Because if we know your why, then that's that's where we start on that journey. I love flour. I used to smoke cigarettes, but when they found the melanoma, I quit smoking cigarettes. It's been over 20 years. Smart move. I smoke flour every day. I love the community. I love the socialized element of it. You'll always find a cluster of cannabis consumers right outside the door of almost anywhere. And if you don't, start. They'll join you. Yeah. (laughs) I've just had a chance to experience this for 12 years. I ran for office in South Florida, and I always thought that you could never talk honestly about what you used because if you wanted to move the policy before it was legal, you had to be unimpeachable as far as who you were and the messenger. Thankfully, the world's caught up now where in the public policy work that I engage in in Colorado, I do it with my one-hitter in my pocket. Yeah. You don't have to claim that you didn't inhale to get elected somewhere anymore. No, I blow it downwind just away from him because I don't want to disrespect someone, but I host political fundraisers in my home. I don't ask an elected official to stick around for any engagement that might make them uncomfortable, but I make it very clear that I'd like them to engage in a conversation with me while I roll the joint I'm going to smoke as soon as they leave. Mm -hmm. Well, and just getting people more normalized in seeing it. And I think that's one of the benefits of cannabis tourism and having these lounges because everyone that goes into the lounge is not going to consume, but them just bearing witness to it and seeing how normal it is and how it is no different than being in a cigar lounge, it helps break that barrier and Subtle difference in that there's that more intense intoxicating effect certainly of cannabis compared to tobacco. Oh yeah, but I'm I'm not talking about the actual experience of consuming it. I'm talking about being in the presence of it. Sure. Because I think a lot of people that are non-cannabis consumers and they don't live in a state where it's legal, their visual when they think about what it might be like to be in a consumption lounge is probably so crazy and inflated as to what it really does look like. I think I'm going to have a great product that's going to fit into a market to help introduce and bring people into this for the first time. Yeah. But I also believe that 15, 20 years from now, maybe even less, when we have a normalized, nationalized market where cannabis consumption is a normal thing that you might see or experience like you see a bar while walking down the street, I still believe very strongly that my product will be relevant because, again, in saturated hospitality, it's about having an appealing reason to attract another room night. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that I have been sitting in my backyard in Denver for almost 10 years now, smoking a joint while waving at the neighbors. At first, they thought I was someone from the East Coast coming to ruin the city. I'm now president of the Neighborhood Association. I sit there and I smoke and I blazed out on that little spot right by the sidewalk for a decade now. Not be, well, a little bit because, hey, I can. Don't tell me I can't in my yard. But also because I recognize I'm on a corner. Everyone in the neighborhood walks by. Yeah. Morning commute, my friends who ride by bikes to work will stop and wave, right? As yeah. I'm sitting out there smoking my first joint of the day. Yeah. So I'm trying to be very forward yeah. in front and present and presenting what this normalized consumption totally. looks like. It's so important to come out of the cannabis closet and out. let people see it. I share what I do and not everyone responds in a positive way. I do not need to beat myself up because of someone else's 
judgment mm -hmm. around cannabis consumption, and I refuse to. Yeah. Will not be a victim to someone else's ignorance. Amen. Now, if people want to get on a list, know when you're going to be launching the consumption lounge, like how do people connect with you? What's your website? Mine's casuallybaked.com. There you go. If you're if you're listening to casuallybaked.com, I want to make sure you know because you should be at my smoking. <laughs> and you're going to tell everyone for me. Uh, Patterson.com, 10 years old. So we are booking. The hotel is open. Uh, the 420hotels.com website's about to go through a, a, a major update. It's just a placeholder right now. Uh, but the biggest thing was keep, would be to keep an eye out for Start Engine. What I'm excited about this is it'll be a place where we'll get to tell our story on a platform that has a national and international audience. It's associated with Kevin Leary at Shark Tank. So from that legitimacy standpoint, this is cannabis businesses now engaging in normal capital markets. Mm -hmm. uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, not and you even said start engine? Start engine. Start, and so equity crowdfunding is not Kickstarter. You're actually buying stock equity in companies, but in a crowdfund or, or group type environment. So you did the Republic. Yes equity crowdfunding and so this is a second round so yeah, to speak. If, if you're following that space Republic is a wonderful platform Start Engine is the top of that world copy that and they recruited the steel which makes me excited because again speaking the legitimacy yeah. they were ready and okay. I went through their legal I told them I said look if you're not ready I'm fine this is what I do this is how I do it this is how I'm structured if you're not ready fine and the CEO of the company gets onto the call three calls in had already gotten through legal thought we were done with it and he asked me do you touch the plant and I didn't answer his question I said if you need to be made comfortable if you need you get two rounds of legal but I still got to convince you I said are you sure you're ready tell me you're ready first before I answer this question because I told him I don't think you're ready I made him convince me he was ready before I tried to pitch him on why I thought my business was a good fit on their platform. I dig it. Well, Chris, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking time out of your MJ BizCon experience to thank chat you, with you. me. I appreciate the time and to tell this story, and I hope I answered at least one of your questions. <laughs> I hope you're inspired to explore cannabis-friendly destinations in the new year. And if Denver is on your shortlist, head over to the podcast 238 show notes at casuallybaked.com. There you'll find details about the historic Patterson Inn, as well as 10 things to know about the Mile High City. And on deck for podcast 239, we're staying in tourism mode. I'm just returning from a trip to Belize with travel inspiration and insights. As always, if you want to connect or collaborate with me, email your messages, requests, or can of curious questions through the website or DM me on social. When I'm there, I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, The Weed Tube, and Truth Social. However you decide to support our highly responsible cannabis movement, Thank you for doing your part to puff puff pass it on. Yes, it's a time. A time Casually baked the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Jamie Humiston at PodConnects. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend Seth Walker. 
If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.